patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Friends and Fellow Citizens, episode 33. I'm your host, Sherman Tylosky. Thank you so much for tuning in and to this show. I hope you enjoy it and the other episodes uh, before this one and those in the future. Just a couple of things. Uh, again, make sure you subscribe and share this podcast if you haven't already. I really appreciate all your support. Also, check out the press tab on my website. Uh, I was uh, featured in an uh, episode about a week and a half ago, and um, it's you know I think just the beginning of our campaign to. Uh, make sure that friends of fellow citizens can be uh, shared as uh, much as possible. Uh, it was a great episode I did on WNCT-TV uh, based in North Carolina. Uh, so check out that episode when you get a chance. Uh, also, I have one more announcement. Uh, we have a Q&A that is going to be released sometime in May, uh, but I need your help to submit the questions for that episode. Clearly, I will not be asking myself a bunch of questions because that's not super duper interactive of me. Uh, so make sure you submit your questions in by April 30th and uh, make sure you do that ASAP so that way you, you can ensure that you can get your question considered as soon as possible. All right, so today I wanted to do something a little bit more story-like. Um, we've done a number of solo shows already and uh, we we really like sharing these stories with all of you because uh, it's it's how you engage it's how you engage with uh, the audience and how you engage with others recently there's been a lot of talk about the infrastructure proposal by president biden uh, i believe it's somewhere along the lines of 2.3 trillion dollars i know i'm saying that uh, just as if it's nothing uh, but i guess when you've got you know, six trillion dollars of COVID passed and everything over the last year. I mean, I guess a trillion is—it really is nothing. It's just like ah, you know, just just a trillion dollars. You know, if you stack, by the way, if you stack one dollar bills of a trillion dollar, or I believe what's um, I believe it's one dollar bills. Yes, if you stack them all, um, a one trillion is about halfway to the moon. So just just to give you some context of how much a trillion. But anyway, regardless of that, um. President Biden has put out a 2.3 trillion dollar proposal, and you know, there's been a lot of debate about you know how far it goes, um, and the the cost, and just given everything that has happened, all the spending that has happened over the last couple of years, uh, and people have said, oh, you know, there's there's a lot of pork in this, and just how uh, there was quite a bit of pork in the previous uh, previous COVID bills. There's no question about it. this is this is how politicians. Put in money, give money back to their districts uh, in the form of these big bills. And I mean, can you can you really give can you, can you really give them credit for uh, passing COVID relief when they must? I mean, it really depends. I mean, I I think there's arguments of both sides. You know, there's one side saying that you you must because of the urgency, you know, the stimulus checks and everything. On the other side, there's the more fiscally conservative side, which and they they also have a very good point about making sure that you don't spend a lot. But what happens when 
you you have a scandal of some kind where people realize that oh my gosh the federal government is going crazy on the spending and a lot of that money might not be going to the the projects that they claim to be funding and that brings to what today's episode is all about so in, in the midst of this infrastructure thing again infrastructure is not generally a very fun subject it's not the most stimulating subject that gets people riled up um I wanted to share something a little bit inter- more interesting. To use an example uh, in history, I think, is to not necessarily show that, oh, history is repeating itself. Uh, the, the more It's more about p- getting people engaged with history, understanding that you know maybe things were a little bit rougher than, uh, than people think, maybe a lot rougher, depending on your judgment. Uh, today's example is the... First Transcontinental Railroad, which was constructed in the 1860s into the 1870s ish. I mean, it's it's kind of broad, broadly speaking in the 1860s. In fact, the the legislation that was passed to provide f- such funding uh, actually occurred in the middle of the Civil War in 1863 uh, with a passage of the Pacific Railroad Acts. Um, and uh, and the, the the thing about the, this legislation is that it, it really had a core principle, right, which was to encourage to promote the construction of a railroad, a transcontinental railroad uh, that would run from essentially uh, coast to coast. And this is this is definitely a lot more complicated than people think. Uh, the problem at that time was they wanted to create something huge. They wanted to connect uh, the, you know, the new state, if you think of the new state of California and all the states over there in Utah and, um, and the rest of the country, it's a massive project. But the other, again, the big problem is there were so few towns. In fact, there were places where there was just nothing, you know, there, there was, or at least there was practically no European settlement there. Think of Nebraska as an example. And this was really, really difficult for the federal government. So they felt like, okay, well, we got to come up with something here. So they came up with this idea that they were going to put in $100 million, like, kind of like these loans or as um, funding for anyone who was interested in constructing uh, a railroad uh, that would connect essentially California and all into the Midwest. Um, it ended up being a little bit different, actually. It kind of ended up all the way to the Nebraska-Iowa border. Uh, but this was the proposal, and they wanted to construct this. And again, and going back to what I was saying earlier, the problem is no private company was interested because there were basically no one really had any business to, to do anything on this railroad. And again, you, when you don't have towns, when you don't have anything like that, you just have flat land and with basically in, in the middle of nowhere. I mean, who, who's going to be incentivized to go there and be like, oh, I'm going to make money? You know, if their Shark Tank was around in the 1860s, I don't think this proposal would have gone down very well. I can tell you that in terms of a private uh, proposal to construct this railroad. So, what happened was that the, the federal government said, all right, well, here's what we're going to do um, we're going to put in $100 million, and then we're going to have a subsidy system. And the subsidies range from, I believe, is fourteen grand, uh, depending uh, depending on the terrain. So if you constructed something flat, you get less of a subsidy. But if you uh, were dare, daring enough, you could go into the mountains and try to build tracks there, which was obviously very hard to do. I believe it was sometime up to like sixty grand a mile or something. It's just something crazy, crazy amount of subsidies. Um, 
And so there's an end up, there were two main railroad operators, uh, construction and essentially doing the construction. There was Union Pacific, uh, which was tasked uh, in the end to construct rail from uh, the Nebraska Iowa border all the way and all the way to you know towards the essentially going west. And then you have the Central Pacific Railroad starting in Sacramento, starting in California, and then uh, going east. And the plan was that these two railroads would eventually meet somewhere around the middle. It wasn't really the middle. It was really a competition kind of base. So any, uh, whichever one uh, could build the, the most, but also the fastest, was kind of going to win this race. Now, when you think – when you build something fast and you, you don't care about quality – is it really going to be quality? <laughs> and what happened was that the the railroad started building and they started competing, you know, trying to get supplies and everything. The speed thing definitely was a bit of a problem. Politicians said, we want to get this done fast. The railroads are like, all right, well, we will build it as fast as possible. Um, but I think a lot of people then around that time were like, well, it's not going to be good quality. In fact, there were times when they actually had to build certain sections of railroad twice because some company was, you know, in the middle of winter, just building tracks along the ice, you know, and it's, and it's it doesn't work. And and people had to come back in, in the spring, like, oh, we got to build it again. But the com- railroad companies, they're like, well, we're getting paid by the mile, so they, it, it it was it was such a it was such a circus in so many ways. Imagine you're building a railroad in the wilderness and you know you've got threats from you know native american tribes some there were some deals that were cut so that they can get more labor and uh, ensure that you know, people were not getting robbed or killed because that's what the uh, the native american tribes uh, attempted to do many many times and so you had the security aspect where the us government had to even step in with security guards and um, there were certainly workers who half of them were sometimes were tasked to guard the rails to make sure no one was stealing anything. Um, and there were also other people uh, out there trying to even get the goods to build this railroad. One example is when, when you think of the the railroad knot, um, this is one of those things where you need to get uh, lumber and you get some kind of timber. But when you're in the middle of Nebraska, uh, you're not going to see a lot of trees there. And so what it, what happened was that they had to build the railroads, uh, especially uh, Union Pacific. Union Pacific, when they were in Nebraska, they had to essentially cut the railroad through people's properties just so they can try to see if they can cut down the trees, use the timber and everything for the rail, rails. Um, and it, it kind of became a little bit of a mess. Um, there was, I'm, I'm sure that anyone who had some kind of private land just all of a sudden just saw an army of railroad people just storm through your property. I don't think this was necessarily the happiest thing that ever happened to them. All right. So, so they're building, 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 they're rapidly building. There's all these problems. Go back to the subsidy. Remember I said that there's a subsidy for this. Okay. The railroads are like, Oh, this is great. We'll just build as much track as we can. So even when you look at Nebraska, Nebraska is very flat as you all, as many of you know, Union Pacific thought, oh, yeah, we're paying by being paid by the mile. So you kind of saw like a bit of a serpentine uh, track at times in Nebraska. 
even though there's really no reason to do so. Uh, and not to mention that Union Pacific wasn't going to be tasked like, okay, here's our route. This is how we're going to be the most efficient. They didn't care. Uh, they just wanted the money. <laughs> so they came, they built uh, these serpentine roads. And, and Central Pacific tried to do this, doing the same thing too. I think they had a bit of a more of a reason to do so because they were coming through the Sierra Nevada, uh, you know, through those mountainous areas. Um, I, I cannot imagine how difficult it must have been. I'm sure there were there were accidents there that happened where you know trains were rolling back you know down hills or something and it just and it, it's just it was crazy and they they started building they get closer and closer and closer and closer towards uh towards Utah now Utah was actually pretty lucrative because um a lot of people thought that if you were to uh, be able to maintain a lot of control of ownership of rail rail track in Utah you could be able to get a lot of commerce through the great basin area and so they're approaching and as the two tracks kind of come together, they just they just avoid each other, and they just keep going. <laughs> they just keep going. Union Pacific keeps going west, and uh, Central Pacific keeps going east, and they they just bypass each other. They they never even meet. And Congress comes in, and they're like, "What's what's going on? You're supposed to meet." And they're like, "But we're building. We're being paid by the mile. You know, we'll we'll eventually get there. You know, we just need to get around this mountain or whatever." Uh, and then finally. Congress like okay, you are meeting here, um, in, in somewhere it's in Utah, and that's and eventually that was the case. Uh, I believe it was Promontory Point, Utah. Um, the problem though is that when they were they were they were I think this was before they were told to meet at a particular point. As they got closer, you know, when competition gets around here, you're not always on your best uh, best attitude, and sometimes. You kind of wish that the opponent wasn't really there with their progress. So at night, uh, the railroad workers uh, would sneak at night and they would go to the other track and they would blow up the tracks. <laughs> they, they would they would literally do that. And then, you know, so Union Pacific did it to Central Pacific. And Central Pacific was like, oh, well, we're going to do it to you. And then they did the same thing. They did the same thing to Union Pacific. Um, I, I I can't imagine, you know, you're sitting in Washington, you're a lawmaker, and uh, you're, you know, you're getting a lot of these benefits, right? Because uh, you're you're getting lobbyists from both real companies. But then you realize that, hold on a second, there's people literally throwing rocks and blowing up tracks in Utah, and they, they shouldn't be doing that. So, uh, Congress and other lawmakers are like, no, you can't do that. You no, no one is blowing up anything, and that's exactly. And, and they had to stop this this violence. Um, finally, they were able to to meet at that point, uh, but it was it it was a wild ride, um, a wild ride. And even though there were no trains going on the, the these tracks, um, you could you could say that uh, there were a lot of things that derailed on the, in this in this this project for the first transcontinental railroad. Um, so that was the, the crazy part. But here's something else that I, I want to share with all of you, and this is I think goes to the point of why. Why people mistrust politicians and why politicians are incredibly, incredibly, incredibly shrewd people. Uh, I can, I'm not going to say every single one is greedy. Uh, I, it's just not accurate. But when opportunity arises, you know the politicians are going to be all over it. So there's something that happened where you're thinking, okay, with all this financing, right? 
Um, what 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 is it? What is this looking like? Um, who's getting who's getting money? We've heard the hundred million dollar figure, right? Well, so the, initially, money was going to be kind of allocated evenly, fifty fifty, right? So Union Pacific gets fifty million, Central Pacific gets fifty million, and Union Pacific, and I believe Central Pacific also had a similar idea too. They're both railroad companies, uh, imagine competitors, but thought quite alike. Uh, but let's focus on Union Pacific for because this actually broke as a story. Um, Union Pacific people thought, you know, man, this this fifty million dollars. I I don't think I, I since we're getting so much attention for it and there's so much work and everything, uh, fifty million dollars is not going to cut it. So here's what we're going to do. Union Pacific says, uh, I, well, is basically within the network without anyone knowing, they created a fake company called Credit Mobilier. Okay, Credit Mobilier was to be a fraudulent private company that would be touted as an independent uh, firm that was trying their best to cut costs for the American people, trying to make this as efficient as possible, um, but also in a way kind of brand them as tough negotiators because uh, the cost was $50 million. But with this fraudulent company that they set up, they claimed to the American people and, and to um, probably to other government officials who didn't know what was going on, they told these folks saying, well, Credit Mobilier, man, they're, they want $94 million for this track that we're going to lay from Nebraska all the way to wherever we're meeting in Utah. And uh, I, I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Uh, people will be like, $94 million, but well, they seem like a credible company. I guess, uh, I guess it'll be $94 million. And <laughs> $94 million, so guess what happened? With this fraudulent company, $44 million went all the way to the Union Pacific executives. They got all this money, they collected all this all this cash, they distributed it among shareholders, um, they had some excess money out of it, used that excess money in the stock, and guess what they did? They gave it to the politicians. They lobbied uh, on behalf of themselves, um, and they bribed uh, a number of uh, of members of Congress uh, in the uh, uh, back in those days. Uh, as I said, uh, Central Pacific did something similar, uh, but this one was a much bigger one, a uh, bigger deal. When the news broke out in 1872 during the, the election, um, uh, during election campaign, the New York Sun brought uh, brought up the story. People were absolutely furious. I mean, <laughs> the fact that. Union Pacific and Central Pacific were involved, especially Union Pacific, involved in this scandal that nearly doubled the cost. They basically lied to everybody saying that this was an independent company. It wasn't, obviously. Uh, what happened is that there was – basically politicians were tainted. Uh, there were people like uh, Vice President running mate Henry Wilson uh, initially said he wasn't part of it, but then he he he, he cracked. He cracked the pressure. And at the end, they identified about about half a dozen members of Congress who were part of this, uh, getting bribes, getting involved in the scandal. Uh, only two were censured, um, and uh, censuring obviously being a bit, a bit like a, a rebuke, like a public rebuke of of someone. And that was the Credit Mobilier scandal, one of, one of the biggest scandals uh, in American history, and one that 
really helped define the Gilded Age, which was kind of the time period where you had a lot of economic growth, a lot of of new uh, territory that you dis- that you discover, uh, but there was, there was a lot of corruption. Um, and, and to reflect a little bit about, about the story, uh, first of all, uh, do not try this at home. Uh, do not try to build a, a fraudulent railroad company and try to scam the American people because I don't think that's going to come down very well. Uh, the FBI uh, is not going to like that, and uh, I would not recommend that. So, uh, but I, I mean, again, the 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 big big story, the big takeaway, I think, from all this is, uh, it, you know, using American history, uh, we we try to understand as much as we can uh, proportionally what circumstances were like, what what was life like, uh, learning about uh, the the times. And when we we reflect on a story like that, we obviously recognize a few things. Number one is let's let's think twice about government intervention. It was a very very tough deal. I think in, in those days you certainly need some kind of government intervention. But then there's the idea of oversight. Who conducts oversight and makes sure that uh, these huge huge companies, essentially a duopoly, uh, wasn't just messing around with people and essentially stealing money from. American taxpayers. There's a lot of questions about it. Um, I, I hope that in this day and age, when we witness what's happening in government, whatever it is, uh, I hope that people will think twice uh, when a U.S. government agency claims that they're the most efficient. Because let's, let's be honest, it, it's it's not. Um, and what what that oversight is going to mean for elections is going to be a, a big deal. Uh, what, how people perceive a particular party, how people perceive a particular government, how these people hold people accountable is through elections, and um, I, I just, I just want to bring this to light because there, there is, there are a number of things that are happening that are not pleasant at this time. But imagine if you were living in the 1860s. Maybe even people, of course, people at that time didn't have social media, didn't have those kinds of technologies to track what's what was happening. Um, but if you were a concerned citizen, I, I bet that you would be pretty angry. So that's just a couple brief stories for all of you about the first Transcontinental Railroad and the Credit Mobilier scandal, uh, that which I think was one of the craziest. Um, it really surprises me how people didn't notice what was happening, but uh, that's politics. Not uh, trying trying to look for every everything that happens. Uh, some things are obvious, some things are not. Uh, but I hope that this was enjoyable for you. Uh, again, make sure uh, you subscribe and share this podcast if you haven't already. I really appreciate you listening to this episode today. I hope you will check out the other episodes we have, uh, the other 32 episodes that I've put out already. Uh, and I look for, I hope that uh, you will stay tuned and continue our journey as we have a lot more content for all of you. Uh, coming uh, this uh, for this year, rest of this year, and beyond. Have a great rest of your week, and I will see you next time in the next episode of Friends and Fellow Citizens. Take care and so long.